1: 30, 40, thank you, why please?
2: Croatia are the Davis Cup by BNP Paribas champions for a second time in just 13 years Marin Cilic got the job done in rubber number four he won through in three sets against Luca Pui we'll be talking all about that we'll be hearing from Cilic himself we'll also be hearing from the French team who took part in a pretty remarkable and emotional passionate press conference that lasted nearly three quarters of an hour Yannick Noah described his three years in office so to speak and he also gave Gave a very forthright set of opinions about the changes to the Davis Cup next year. In short, he ain't happy. So we'll be going through all of that. Catherine Witcher is here. Hello, Catherine. Hello, David. Hello. Uh, grad Matt is here. Still in Lille, but no longer in a 26,000 seat stadium. I believe, Matt, you've, you've had a cheese board and you're in your hotel room.
3: Hello. Yes, I've made it back to the hotel, safe and sound, and very tired.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, you just before we came on air, you just said, "Crikey, I'm tired now." <laughs> I think yeah. it, it suddenly it, hit you, didn't
3: it? It did. Yeah. It's been been long days. I was I was at the stadium far earlier than I needed to be this morning. Really, I want <laughs> I wanted to see who was practicing out of Prey and Shardy, and then Noah. Had them both practicing, so I learnt nothing. That's, that's <laughs> oh, well. the
4: dedication. Hey, actually, you did though, because you said on Twitter that um, if it's any if it's any indicator, Yannick Noah is spending more time on Luca Puy's side of the court. Mm, that's true. Than he, and that proved to be excellent detective work. <laughs> David, yes. David, I happen to know David's given up the opportunity to go to Nando's to be here to record this podcast So if that's yes. not dedication between the two of you, I don't know what is oh.
2: That's how much it means Catherine, of course, will still have the cheese board tonight, obviously <laughs> Even though she's not there, she's making her own of just you, the end of I would
3: podcast. love a Nando's
2: now Yes, okay, so <laughs> Matt's going to have a Nando's, Catherine's going to have a cheese board Let's get on with the podcast So... Straight sets win for Marin Cilic. That's what it says on paper. Matt, you were in the stadium. Is, is that? Was it as simple as that? I mean, did, you know, were, were, were there any dramatic moments at all?
3: Um, the first set tiebreak was very crucial. I think. Um, I think if Pree had managed to get that, we could have had a real match on our hands. But Cilic was superb in that tiebreak. He really found his forehand reeled off a load of winners, took that, and then from there he was away. And at that point, I didn't really feel like Pui was capable of winning. It was all to do whether Chilich was kind of capable of losing it from there, which we have seen him do before, in, even in the Davis Cup final. Um, but he he was having none of that today. He was excellent, as much as we've talked about his woes at closing matches out in the past he was superb today uh really took charge and just was a man on a mission really
2: pretty pretty big day for him Catherine. because i Mm. mean did you did you have any sort of concerns watching him because I, i know yesterday you did i did today i really didn't everything was was functioning wasn't it
4: yeah, I mean not in terms of his tennis. I mean it was it was close to US Open twenty fourteen tennis at its best. I mean not not from the start. He was obviously nervous. Um it took a while mm. for him to crank into gear. Um but crucially he did so when it Absolutely mattered the most, and that first set tiebreak, it felt like it was everything. Um, it certainly felt like it was more important for Pui to win it than than for chillich you, you just felt his heart break uh, upon losing that tiebreak. But yeah, at its at its peak, it was it was maybe not quite as good as US Open twenty fourteen Chilich, but it was it was in the same vein. It was in that same just I am this I am a. Big serving, six foot, what is he, six foot six? He's a little bit shorter than you, isn't he, David? It's, you know, you could hear... Goran Ivanesvic's voice echoing around his head just saying go out there and boss this tennis court that's what you should be doing with yourself stop faffing around um and it was i think you said commanding didn't you um i mean i was still still waiting but i was i kept sort of calculating uh, what, what is the point of no return for Chilich here <laughs> can he still throw it away at this stage um but it, it, there was, there was never a a, a, a he did so well to to repress whatever feelings of doubt must have been they must have been there somewhere you know he's 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 had an awful run of 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 snatching defeat from the jaws of victory you can't just dispel that you know in 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 one swoop it must have been there somewhere in his mind and yet he found a way to to repress it completely. Maybe it's Jelko Crian. I'm sure playing for his country is a is a factor. um maybe he needs to get Joko Crian. On board for him personally, i don't know um he's mm. hes the, he doesn't he's not a, a man of many words it's very contrasting captaining styles between Noah and cryan i mean often the camera would cut to to cryan and chilich or or cryan and, and Chorich, or whoever it might have been, and it'd just be sort of <laughs> sat there in silence, seemingly staring into space, but he's obviously got a good sense of what the player needs to hear and when you know he's not a man of of superfluous
2: words mm. Marin Cilic, so he's the man who delivered victory in the end, obviously with some, some great help from Borna Church along the way, but Marin Cilic is the man. Let's hear what he thought of it all.
5: This is a weekend from the dreams, and uh, it's just, uh, just incredible, incredible feeling to play like this in a final without dropping even one serve in, in three singles matches. This is, uh, this is just incredible. Uh, the, the level of tennis uh, from... Uh, even today, uh, Luca played the great match. First set was was really really tough. Uh, just uh, probably one point they decided that tie break and uh, just uh, extremely proud with the with the win. We had a feeling that uh, Luca might be uh, on the courts. I mean, he had a he didn't have the best season of his life, but uh, still he is incredible player. And uh, I felt that it would be risky to put uh, Jeremy in, and uh, you know, just I felt that I might play him, but still. Uh, he played incredible match as well. I just, uh, I was just a little bit better. I was just a little bit composed. Borna came to the top form at the right moment and uh, played unbelievably well in against the US and and even here. So just uh, you know, it's a, it's a team effort and uh, you know we are we are proud to be the world champions. It's not uh, every day that you become a world champion, and uh, for us it's uh, it's a dream come true for this nation. We are so passionate. You can see the fans. They are enjoying themselves and uh, I feel that uh, in Croatia it's going to be incredible too
2: so there's the player that won it what about the captain that helped to win it Djokovic Krajan has been now one of the most successful Davis Cup captains in Croatia's history let's hear from him
6: I'm just thrilled I would say uh, really mostly because of the team and all the teammates uh, and for me being here seven years on the bench with them it's amazing that we finally crowned it uh, with a victory after the experience of 216, that was uh, in my mind for a long, long time after after we lost, lost it. But uh, I was saying in the beginning that we are stronger for that experience, even we lost it. And uh, it, it was shown today on the court that uh, Mario was just experienced enough, he knew what happened then what slipped uh, throughout his hands, and uh, you could see that he was really mentally very focused, stable, and he knew what to do until the end uh, of the match, and he he was very calm and, as I said, experienced, and I was saying that uh, even though it's tough, we are not playing at home, but that the quality was on on our side uh, from the beginning of the weekend, and in the end, the quality prevailed. From our side, I would say that we have a dream team, finally, from the semifinals. Having Matej Pavic back in the team uh, is the best uh, players in history that we had, and ranking-wise, and almost, I mean, Borna is ranked 11, 12 in the world, so two singles players, almost top 10, so really it's it's nice coming with that team. Uh, it's easy, it's, we're in the role of the favorites, but uh, from another side, you can, uh, for me on the bench, trust your players, you believe in something, and uh, yeah, it's not easy to be a favorite playing away, I'm very proud for them. We are a long time uh, together for seven years and they invested uh, a lot of time uh, in these seven years in Davis Cup. We all know what the format is and how, how many weeks you have to skip throughout the year to play. Then uh, for some times we didn't have full team. Now finally we had, they all gave themselves and it paid off uh, in the best possible way winning this last last kind of Davis Cup in this way. I think that the celebration is going to start even now in the locker room and I'm sure there are, there are not worse in the celebration than on the court.
2: So, Marin Cilic, Catherine, just just to finish on him here, because we've heard the interview, we've heard what he thinks of it, we're bowled over by his performance. We've seen so many times, I mean, the Davis Cup is, is a huge event and a huge trophy to win in its own right but we've seen it become the making of certain players haven't we certainly in terms of taking players to another level if you think what happened to Novak Djokovic after he was part of that 2010 winning team think of of Andy Murray being part of the British team that won it in 2015 he went on to be world number one the year after I know Cilic has already won a grand slam but could you see this as a launch pad for another another move in his career another another sort of pinnacle
4: yeah, absolutely. Because we we've we've at no point in the last four years needed anyone to prove to us that he's got the game. We've known that for four years. Um, he was unbeatable at that 2014 U.S. Open. It's just a question of you know tapping into whatever magical formula allowed him to produce that brilliant game for for seven matches in a row. He needs to find a way to cast that spell again, um, and it. It looked like mentally he was backtracking rather than making progress. He's obviously been through a few coaches in in the last few years. Um, And I I mean, I still don't know why the Bjorkman partnership ended, really. I mean, that seemed to be going swimmingly. But anyway, um, yeah. So if he can just find a way to cast that spell mentally again, absolutely. And he cast it today. He cast it two days ago. Um, so if he can just lock into that some, somehow and seize upon all the, fa- you know, just try and recreate all the factors transplant, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I was sort of it was sort of a throwaway comment about Joko crime Joko but why not? Why not give it? give it a go. I mean, hey, you could make the argument that he doesn't need to change anything. He reached the Australian Open final last year. He won Queen's, you know, he had overall a, a pretty great year. But I think those sort of headline figures do hide a, what's been a bit of an issue for for chillich do hide a little bit of um, decay um, in the mental areas of his game. But there was, there was no sign of that this week. This was Marin Cilic standing tall, puffing his chest out and saying, I'm the best player in either of these teams and I'm going to show you why.
2: He, he sure did. He sure did. So that's a jubilant Croatia, understandably so. It was a very, very different scene when the French team came into their press conference after being defeated. And it wasn't just because of the result. Let's hear from Luka Pui.
7: Well, last year I was crying of joy. This year I was crying because I was sad. Um, I have always said what I I was thinking about the Davis Cup for next year with the new format. And I'm not going to change my mind right now. So uh, as far as I'm concerned, I'm not going to play the Davis Cup anymore. So that was the last time.
2: So there's Luca Puy. He's not happy. Neither is Pierre Ugabert, who said he hopes the new venture with the Davis Cup fails next year so that they can go back to what they know. We then had Yannick Noah into the interview room. He was asked what he thinks of those future plans.
7: At the end, nobody really knows what's going to happen. It's all confusion. So we're trying to find like a logic to all this. Is this one is going to play? How many millions this one's going to take to come and play, if he comes to play for such amount of millions, is it going to save the Davis Cup? Who knows? I don't know. I mean, I, 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 honestly, if I knew, I would tell you. The only thing I know is what I experienced today. How much does it cost when the boy-boy is shaking the hand and have a picture with Luca Pui and he's from here? How much does it cost? How much does it worth? How much is a dream? How much in dollars? How much? This is where I'm coming from. I come from a dream, from somebody who shook my hand and gave me a racket. This is will this will never happen again, the way it is. Not through Davis Cup, that for sure. So here we we are in Hill, in Lille. We're touching a lot of people. It's not it's not only these twenty five thousand people. It's other people in the street. The people around, we're talking about the drivers, the children, the pitchers. I know that as we're playing, there are some strikes of people who are upset because there's some injustice in the world. We're talking about tennis. What, what is it that we can give? What we can give to Davis Cup is to be able to come to Lille, play Croatia, do our best, and have 20, 25,000 people happy to see some tennis. This is the way I feel. I don't know what's going to happen next. Actually, I told my players, you know what? Next year, go. But you know it's not going to be the same. Everybody knows. So why don't people tell the truth? Why don't people tell the truth? It will never be the same. We will never have this in wherever it is. With all due respect, with all due respect, which I do have, but it's going to be something else, but I really hope that they will not call this Davis Cup because this is not Davis Cup. Playing two sets is not Davis Cup. Playing somewhere else is not Davis Cup. So when, when people tell us it's Davis Cup, they're lying. So if I have a, a voice, I'm going to tell them, you are liars, exactly the way I did when I had the voice the other day at the dinner, and I told Mr. the President, I said and I'm disgusted and upset to his face, because I think it's the truth. This is the way I feel. I'm not saying that everybody has to feel the same way. Everybody has a right to their opinions, but I feel this way. And I owe the Davis Cup because Davis Cup was so much for me, so much for me. I have like so many his stories as a player. As a spectator, as a fan, I can tell you the history of uh, Italian Davis Cup. That meant so much. Where would, be, where would tennis be in Italy, in Italy without Davis Cup? Where? It was so much. So now you have these people that decided, no, it doesn't matter. I don't know if they don't know. I don't know if they don't care. I don't know. But as I told the president... I am not from his world. We are from two different worlds. And this is it. I'm out of here. This is my last press conference. I'm going to my life. And uh, this is the truth. So I just expect people to tell the truth. That's all. I mean, whatever truth. You know, we all have different truths.
2: So there's Yannick Noah, the captain of the French team, three times champions under him over a, a spell of twenty five, twenty seven years, in fact, and and one of the legends of, of French sport, let alone just tennis. He he won the French Open himself. We're going to talk about those views that he that he holds about the future of the Davis Cup. But first of all, Matt, you were in that room when it was going on. Just just ex- describe what it was like to be there, the atmosphere that you were experiencing.
3: Yeah, well, probably the first thing to say is they are quite interesting experiences, these press conferences, because they're very much in two languages. You get the bit in English and the bit in French. So there is a bit of a sort of overlap between the two quite often. Um, But basically, to me, it felt like Yannick Noah was walking off, not quite into the sunset, because that would be probably after a victory, but leaving tennis behind and lobbing this grenade over his shoulder as he left, as he as he came out with all these sort of very strong words about the Davis Cup and that we've just heard. Um, He's very, very engaging. He's, you know, there's no one else in tennis like him. Um, And I think, you know, tennis will be a poorer place without him and and his press conferences. It's been good having him back for a few years. And the other thing is, I think, you know the Davis Cup is such an emotional event, isn't it? It's the, it's what we talk about most with the Davis Cup: players' emotions, fans' emotions, the passion. And I think you know Noah's words today were no, were no different really. Um, he was clearly emotional, and he's had this very unique relationship with the Davis Cup, hasn't he? He's been, he's been everything: he's been a fan, a player, a winner, a loser, a captain. He's given it a lot, the competition's given him a lot and he um, he feels very strongly about its future.
2: What do you think about his views generally, Catherine? Because he just isn't accepting that this event, as it will be next year, that it even is the Davis Cup. He he, he just will not, they won't give it a chance, will they? Because, I mean, the, his teammates were sitting alongside him as well. It was They were absolutely categoric that this is the wrong thing to be doing what 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 is your view of what he said and what is your view generally of the changes that are being made
4: I mean I found that sort of what was it five six minute long soliloquy I mean it was it was a love letter to what he sees as a dying Davis Cup a, di- a dying lover I mean it was it, it was extraordinary I mean obviously that we talked I mean there's something about the the tone and the cadence of his voice, isn't there? He can be saying something sort of incredible. he can be lobbing this verbal grenade, as Matt so brilliantly put it, and yet you also sort of feel like you're being sung a lullaby. Um, he is extraordinary like that. And the, the, <laughs> it's become a cliche um, with regard to, to discourse about the Davis Cup that kind of regardless of some of the irrational potentially irrational things that these guys say about it and i do think you know pierre Rugerbert saying i hope it fails is is pretty if understandable irrational really that's like you know when 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 a bloke leaves you for someone else you're like well i hope they're miserable together you know is that is that kind of reaction <laughs> isn't it i hope they hope they both fall down a well and stay there forever um so, but but you can't help but celebrate the strength of feeling, celebrate the emotion in what he's saying. And that emotion is what people are nervous of losing in the Davis Cup, isn't it? So regardless of, of whether you think he's right or wrong. And I happen to, you know, I remember talking about it with Charlie Eccleshare over the summer. I think I'm one of the only people in the world that... Feels feel not in. I don't feel indifferent about it. I just feel quite neutral about the changes. Some aspects of the whole situation make me really nervous, and I am sceptical um, as to whether they'll work. It's not necessarily the the these sort of um, reformed Davis Cup that I would have fashioned. However, I I do believe the Davis Cup needed reform. I really really do. I'm impressed with the speed with which they've managed to make things happen you know i thought it would take years for the wheels of change to turn and and you know credit to them for for recognizing a problem and getting something done again elements of it and and potentially elements of the reasons why it's happened so quickly make me nervous but it needed changing i'm willing to keep an open mind until i see the results of it and i, I think it's a little bit of a shame that they're not saying i wish it well I hope desperately that it does capture some of what we all love so much and have given to the Davis cup rather than, yeah, just saying it all ends here and, and tossing the grenade, but I get it. I get it. You know, what are your views, Matt?
3: I largely agree. I think, you know, I think we've got to give it a chance, haven't we? Um, It will be different. There's, there's, no two ways about it, and that's kind of what all the French players were saying today you know something something is going to be lost that they won't be able to replicate through you know through not having the home and away ties throughout the whole year and having a neutral venue for a final it it just will be different um my feeling is that it probably it probably did need change yeah um but I'm not sure it needed to be quite so radical. They had tried to push through less radical changes without any success. So maybe that was why they went so radical to try and um, to try and just change something. Um, but it does feel like it's lost a little bit of its essence. I do agree with the French players when they say that. Um, Marin Cilic made an interesting point about, you know, one of the benefits of it is, is the fact that a lot more money now will be, hopefully be going to the smaller federations. Um and you know, Yannick Noah has only experienced the best of the Davis Cup really. He he doesn't know what it's like for some of those smaller nations necessarily. Um so hopefully now with the investment you can help the smaller nations and put it into junior tennis and all that side of it which which the ITF are sort of pushing as this good thing and Hopefully it will be. Hopefully the money does get there. But, you know, the other side of it is when you are at a tie like the one we've just had, you know, which won't go down as a spectacular Davis Cup tie, you know, that was Croatia were dominant in the singles. It wasn't, it wasn't a sort of an all time classic. The doubles, as I said yesterday, was fantastic. But even so, it felt, you know, just, like everyone there cared about it and for that weekend it was a special weekend and that to me it felt when you're there fairly healthy but obviously there's all the other sort of things that go with it you know the fact that it wasn't on tv in the uk and the top players have chosen to play it and then kind of move on from it and all the various other issues. So, you know, I feel conflicted about it. Um, There was a sadness today, leaving the stadium, knowing that it won't be like that again. Um, But equally, I am also intrigued to see how this new one plays out.
2: Mm. Very well said both. My view, I'm also conflicted. What I would say before I give my own personal view is, is just that I think we can get a little bit lost in the seductive words of of Yannick Noah and all the French team, and partly because... They're so passionate. They they mean it so much. They, they're they in love with the, the the Davis Cup and they don't want it to change. And I have such a lot of respect for that because they have brought so much to it. I feel similarly when I listen to Leighton Hewitt talk from an Australia perspective. These are people that always have had their hand up. They have every right to give their view because they've given everything of themselves to this competition. And so they, they have all the the credibility in the bank as a result of that having said which so does Marin Cilic and he came on the tennis podcast in February and said he thinks these plans are very good plans and they're a good idea and that they will work and and that players will have benefits for for being able to to just meet at the end of the year or whenever it is in the calendar and and, and play this out as a big event that all eyes are on. The United States players, ever since I've been in tennis, Andre Agassi told me in 1999 that he thinks this is what tennis should be doing with the Davis Cup. Patrick McEnroe repeated it. I remember when when he was a Davis Cup captain, he was saying this in 2008. Jim Currier said it, in the last few years, when he was a Davis Cup captain, all the United States players, and these are all players that have had their hand up to play in the Davis Cup throughout, none of them are pulled out and given a half effort. They've all said, make it a big spectacle once, uh, I mean, some say every two years, some say every year for a couple of weeks at a time, and really celebrate it and have, have it as a global event with all eyes on it there is a problem with how this event has been as as wonderful as it is when you're there as intoxicating as it is as memorable as it is it's only memorable on such a small scale relatively speaking yes janet noah is right Twenty-five thousand pairs of eyes all the the personal relationships that it moves you with and and those unforgettable moments they can't necessarily be completely replicated in this new competition but in the end you have to take the on-balance view you have to come with what's better overall and I'm afraid it has become too irrelevant not completely irrelevant but it hasn't been relevant enough on the grand scheme of things and things have got to change I, I I'm sad that we seem to be in this position where you've got two events six weeks apart that appear to be competing and, and very, very similar. That that just seems self-defeating to me. But so was the Grand Slam Cup and the ATP Finals. They eventually merged, and now look what we have at the O2, that celebration tennis that really does work. That's what they've got to, to discover. That's what they've got to find. They have to find a date in the calendar that players can feel inclined to turn up for every single time and they've got to make this event as special as they possibly can and i I believe that that is doable unfortunately we may have to go through a lot of crap in order to get there that's my view
4: oh looking forward to wading through that crap david (laughs) you've you've really whetted my appetite
8: normally being a little extra can be a bit much
2: Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right.
4: <laughs> <laughs> what, a, what a note to end on. <laughs> Indeed.
2: But, you know, the, I I also get it. I mean, this is it is politics and it is frustrating, but... I am hopeful that the end result will be something worth having. And, and I, I do get why this is happening at all. It's, I don't think, you mentioned yourself, Catherine, one thing that has happened is it's happened quickly. We had a couple of decades of nothing happening, frankly. And this, this competition was just gradually declining year upon year in terms of relevance and focal point on the, on the, the the wider scale of, of sports the the landscape of sports and suddenly we've got somebody who's actually coming okay he is he's incredibly frustrated a lot of people out there that love it as it is and don't want the change but if you if you agree that change was required well at least it's at least some changing ha- is happening and hopefully the fine tuning that you will get as a result of all the negotiations will end up where the sport could do with being that's my view.
4: Yeah, I, I mean, I think you struck up on something there, David. He yeah. you, you said it's politics, and and it is politics, and I think that's what frustrates the the tennis fan and the likes of, of Yannick Noah, for whom the Davis Cup has nothing at all to do with politics. None of tennis has anything to do with politics. It's just about forehands and backhands and passion and emotion and and joy. Um, and yet, you know, you actually behind the scenes the, the decisions um, that that we're unable to be involved in actually a lot of the time necessarily come down to a whole lot of boring politics and that's where a sort of disconnect comes in that's where you know you have Yannick Noah talking about his sort of distaste for the, the money involved because for him those things are so alien to everything that he knows the Davis Cup to be um, and I get that I get it but you Know and politics are pretty ghastly, but they're also unfortunately a necessary evil,
2: aren't they? You could also say, though, Catherine, that Yannick Noah and his team they're not exactly struggling for a few quid, are they? So he can kind of afford to to take that view, you could argue. Um, but but I get the point. I, I also, I mean, look, I mean, when this first got announced, I was right behind it to be honest, and probably overly hastily so, because a lot of the response we got really took me aback from from our listeners about how many people were just devastated at what they would lose. And they will lose. I mean yes, there are, thankfully that there is at least going to be some home and away earlier in early in the year. But there's no question for all us particularly all the British fans that we we have listening to us. The, there's a lot of upset out there because that's their chance to watch tennis locally and to what they just love it they love the davis cup i do get all of all of that now i still feel that on balance this is this is the way to go i just hope they get it right in the end so it's going to be fascinating to see how it evolves that wasn't the end of the press conference though was it matt because uh, there was quite a lot of Yannick Noah talking in French, which you and Catherine understand, which I don't. So, what went on?
3: Yeah, well, there was a good question where he was asked. Basically, um, you know, the role of the captain is kind of to get the, you know, to get the most out of your players. Do you think you did that this weekend? And he, he wasn't. Well, Catherine, what would you say? He wasn't happy. He wasn't very happy with that question, really. Was he? Again,
4: he did it in his sort of soothing. Soothing Yannick Noah tones, but he was pretty um, confrontational with um, that journalist that asked Mm. the question. Yeah, Yeah. combative.
3: Yeah, and he sort of, because he asked straight back, saying, well, have you been watching the matches that my players have been playing in the past three months? And there was a bit of back and forth. And eventually the journalist kind of said, well, no, I've not seen them all, but yes, I've been watching. And Yannick Noah said, well, I've seen them all and I've analysed them all. And I honestly think that this weekend my players performed better than they have been for the past three months and kind of to their maximum based on their form at the moment. What about
4: Gilles Simon's 6-1 record against Marin Cilic though, which you tweeted without comment brilliantly this morning, Matt?
3: Yes, yeah. Well, that has been the big sort of elephant in the room, hasn't it? The fact that, you know... This is now the second time that Yannick Noah's French team have lost to Croatia. His only his only two defeats in this 3rd captaincy period for him has both been against Croatia, 2016, and now the final. And, you know, France have had the Marin Cilic disruptor in their ranks, haven't they? It's Gilles Simon, 6-1 head-to-head record. And yet he's not played. And Yannick Noah went into a bit of detail about... Uh, about why that is. And basically, as far as I understood it, um, Gilles Simon th- would would want to kind of work a bit differently to Yannick Noah. Yannick Noah kind of chooses his team kind of at the last minute, whereas Gilles Simon would want to know it quite a lot in advance and it just sort of hasn't really worked, that relationship. Um, and then he also talked about Gael Monfils really interesting on Gael Monfils. He, he said his, his one regret kind of as as captain of France is not being able to kind of get Monfils on side and work with Monfils and help Monfils. When he, when he took over as captain three years ago, which he wasn't expecting to do, but he did take over and kind of he thought Monfils was going to be his guy, was going to be his project. And yet he's just played one match in three years um, because there were some differences about playing in Guadeloupe and then Monfils did play there and he said it was great and he wanted to keep playing. And then there was some sort of breakdown after that and he just never recovered that relationship with Monfils um, so you ended up in a situation where they were playing this final against Croatia and you're kind of wondering what could they have done differently? Well, if he'd had those two players, possibly it would have been different. But at the end of the day, you, you know, you look at the rankings, Cilic number seven, Church number 12. There's no nation in the world with two players ranked that high. Um, we've seen, We've seen one singles player can often be enough to win the Davis Cup in recent years. Think of Andy Murray, obviously was well-supported. And Del Potro in 2016 was very much the one standout player for Argentina. So for Croatia to have two, it was always going to be such a tough ask for France. But there are these question marks over whether Yannick Noah could have picked players differently over over his period and also whether... Clay was the best surface, so there are these questions. But Yannick Noah was was pretty adamant in impressed that they did all they could, and they were just beaten by the better team.
2: Well, he's not alone, is he, in being unable to maybe get the absolute best out of Gaël Monfils, mm. or to figure no, him th- out? No, I
4: think Guy Fulget, um and did his uh, tenure as Davis Cup captain with similar feelings about gael Monfils, an awful lot of fondness for him, tons of fondness. I think everyone likes the guy, but, you know, real sort of frustration and dejection about not being able to find the, figure him out, you know, find the key to unlock Gaël Monfils, mm. you know, just to sort of, you know, you ask you ask Guy Fourget about Gaël Monfils and you get a sort of fond head scratch kind of an expression which pretty much sums it up <laughs>
2: yes just as a, a final editorial thought um on this final a man we haven't mentioned in this particular podcast because he wasn't required today is born a chorich and our good friend pat cash who's uh, one of our kickstarter backers thank you pat we love you um he says on twitter to win away makes men from boys expect a good year for born a chorich could believe that, couldn't you?
3: Yeah, yeah I'm on me board too. with that.
2: Pat has spoken. He has. Final final note then. Grand Matt, what did you think of it all? How's your first trip on our behalf been?
3: Really good. I mean, very tiring, as I said, but a lot of fun. Um It's been yeah, it's been great to, you know, to experience the Davis Cup. My only my second ever Davis Cup rubber. First as you know covering it as a reporter and yeah it's been great
4: matt, matt needs a rest
2: david <laughs> i do. <laughs> I, think <you're> done, <laughs> <I'm exhausted. laughs> I think we all need a rest we all need a rest even i have uh, have slightly hit the wall today haven't i catherine david law
4: has hit the wall yeah, yeah. so only for the sort of 12th time yeah, in, in 2018
2: so, indeed indeed well we, we hope you've enjoyed our run of davis cup podcasts this week four have been produced we also had the the nine shows from the atp finals we've been daily at every single grand slam tournament i can't quite believe i'm saying all this and we're really chuffed that we were able to do it We, we couldn't have done it without your help as, as our listeners, A, for tuning in, but also for backing us at the start of the year to help us finance all the things we've been able to do. We've, we've produced well over 100 podcasts this year. I think we're up at about 115 podcasts for the year. Second year in a row, we've we've been crowdfunded by yourselves. And frankly, we've been able to deliver as a result. And we're really proud of that. We'll be Looking ahead to 2019 very soon. This is basically it for us for the year. We will have our... End of year award show, uh, which we're going to be conducting in front of a live audience of our Kickstarter backers who all uh, entered the Predictions League at that level. And uh, we'll be doing that in mid December. And we will, at the start of December, basically a week tomorrow, as, as I talked to you on Sunday, it'll be Monday, the 3rd of December, when we launch our crowdfunding Kickstarter for 2019. And, uh, yeah, basically, we're going to be asking you to to pitch in if if you like the show and you want it to continue. If we can hit our target, then we'll be looking to try to do exactly what we've done this year and produce daily shows from the Grand Slams weekly throughout the year and as much other stuff as we can as well. We managed Queen's this year, ATP finals and the Davis Cup final. We'd love to do something similar next year. But for now, from Matt, from Catherine, from myself, David Law... We're Being the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Tenograph, um, executive produced by TennisBalls.com, Melody Bowes and Triple S. Our sponsors are La Manga Club. Our mascot is Charlie the Ferret. And we will see you very soon.
0: Selling a little or a lot?